Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we turn your eyes, turn our eyes to you, and as we look into your face and to the fullness of who you are, Lord, I pray that everything may become dim, that we may find ourselves in you, that as we look into your face, that we see who we truly are, and we also see the fact that you love us no matter who we are. Father, we thank you for your love, your unending grace and mercy. We thank you for this day of life that you've given us, for the breath of life. And we ask that as we um, we come here today, we gather, that your spirit may be here, present. Um, Lord, that, 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 I, that I may disappear as um, you do your work. Father, we came here to encounter the God that we find in the Bible, the everlasting. And in this moment, we dedicate our hearts and our minds to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So recently, I, um, I've taken a quarter off of school. Um, and I actually had the chance to read The Great Controversy. And it's a pretty long book. Um, it's a very important book. Um, for us as Seventh-day Adventists. And, you know, there's a few things that I think really stuck out to me. The way that God has been working with humanity through the ages, since before the time of Jesus, since the very moment that Adam and Eve realized that they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from that very moment, God has been searching for us. You know, in Genesis, after Adam and Eve have of that fruit, it says that God walked the garden and he asked, where are you? And I think that through the ages, God, through Jesus, through the prophets, through people, has continually asked us, where are you? And he has never given up. And the question I kept asking myself was, how often do I search for him? Is my instinct the same as Adam and Eve's was to hide from him? And realizing that that is instilled in all of us. And yet Christ came to show the fullness of who God is. 
And he came as a human being to search for us. And that, that is the gospel. That is the love and the grace that God gives us. It is never ending. He never gives up. So much to the point that he would leave everything that he had in heaven to come and look for us. And even though he died and was killed because of this love and grace that the world rejected, that we have this hope in him. Because we, you know, it's like if we live like him and die like him, we will also be raised like him. The fact that he has continually looked for you to be part in a relationship with him. Um, that is the core of Christianity. That is the core of believing in the name of God. Um, and it's something that sparked a movement, right? And uh, I don't do this very often, but I actually wrote it, and I'm going to try to as much as possible to keep to it, but um, it's kind of hard for me sometimes. <laughs> Just thinking about movement, you know, is, is Christianity simply an organized system of morality, an organization of churches? Is, is God part of this movement? Or is this movement on its own? It's been so many years, right? It's been so long that sometimes we wonder. You know, the sign of the true Adventists those who expect Jesus' return, the true Christ follower, is the ability to be self-critical, to, to look at ourselves, to inspect ourselves, almost like a, like a third-person perspective, you know, to, to be able to, to look at ourselves in a different light, to be able to tell if we're actually falling into deception. Our faith is one that stands on the shoulders of giants, I mean, think of the apostles, the first martyr, Stephen, the gospel writers, Paul the apostle, Timothy, Mark, Barnabas, and all those who came after them. All of them, prophets, speaking God's unstoppable truth, cutting deeper than any sword, so accurately. Think of John Huss, Jerome, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and all the rest of the reformers who were brave enough to walk the line for the salvation of souls. And this salvation is found really in the liberation of that system that they were fighting so hard against, that universal church that had afflicted those who spoke the truth. Think of those who fled persecution and they found refuge in a new continent. The pilgrims, the Quakers, the Puritans, who called all people to closer study of the scriptures which the reformers had made available to all. I mean, think of the preachers who faced hardship and poverty as they brought the Great Awakening to the U.S. Think of our humble beginnings from a group of misfit believers, from Baptists, Methodists, and other backgrounds, who studied the scriptures without stopping. They weren't perfect, but God gave them more and more light. 
I was thinking about the great disappointment about how we expected Jesus to return on a specific day on October 22nd, 1844. And remember how a small party remained after that. And they went back to the, to, to the drawing board. They went back to square one. But their faith seemed unshaken. And they began to study even more to figure out what was going on. And this led to the foundation of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. It was a movement. A movement of believers who believed that they had been called out of this Babylon, out of a system of deception, oppression, towards those who were called to follow Christ truly. We have Ellen White, James White, Joseph Bates. They were pioneers who called people to a reformed way of life. They set into the motion the movement which gave birth to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And these gave way to the time which we now believe and see as kind of this golden age of our church. You know, but Ellen White warned against threatening the threatening enemy who wouldn't waste time leading people's minds to unfruitfulness and to pointless endeavors. She warned against the centralized power ruling over the church that was not Jesus Christ. We have much work to do to bring others to Jesus. But many are currently rendered ineffective by the work of the enemy through self-deception. Religion does not save. Salvation belongs only to God. And he gives freely to those who ask for it. Salvation is not simply experienced in the internal life of the soul. It must find outward expression in right living. And as I was reading it, these words just kept ringing in my, in my mind. Turn back to God. Allow Jesus in the heart and join the people of Christ who bring a much-needed light to darkness. You can be a light bearer. You can run into darkness with the torch of truth handed down to us from the ages. Your duty is not fulfilled when you sit in church and listen to a sermon. Your duty is fulfilled when your life is given fully to the cause, the cause of Jesus Christ. It's not a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. Every day. Do not let the word of God fall on deaf ears. Do not ignore what's in front of your eyes. Do not forsake the grace, the love, and the mission of Jesus. Do not mistake the kingdom for this church as an organization. We are not called to just make more Adventists. We're called to make disciples of Jesus wherever we go. We can't just convert people to a different form of thinking. They must be converted fully to Jesus Christ or else we're not doing it right. The gospel is that grace was displayed in the cross of Jesus, and it is free to all to take. That Jesus Christ calls us to follow the path which he laid for us. He says his burden is easy, it is light. Leave all behind because to follow him is everything and worth everything. He tells us to turn from our sin, to hate sin. And to love God with all of our hearts because he has done for us 
what we could never possibly do for ourselves. He makes us righteous before God. You see, Seventh-day Adventism is a movement toward a greater commitment to Jesus and to all of his teaching. But if we fail to follow Christ, our movement is nullified. It's rendered useless. And Christ will sift us like sand through a filter. Take care to allow the Spirit of God to purify your lives so that you may shine his face upon all who see you, so that you can run toward the darkness with the torch of the truth of God's Son. Don't allow the essence of your witness to be simply that you don't eat pork or that you don't work on the Sabbath or that you don't drink alcohol. These are all good things. But these are not necessarily what we were called to do or to be known for. These are simply things without Jesus that make us look ridiculous to the world. I mean, think about it. Sometimes what do we mean by the extent, the extent of our religion is to not eat pork or to not work on the Sabbath? Is that all people identify us with? Are we simply health freaks to people? James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So today we are called to follow the renewed, with renewed passion, to feel our call more deeply, to face the darkness of this world more boldly than ever before. We are called to be fishers of men and to bring them into the knowledge of the loving Jesus who spreads his arm wide to receive all of us. And so our question to myself and to you is, have we gone fishing lately? Or have we simply hopped onto the boat and pretended to look like we were fishing? Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And this great cloud of witnesses is composed of the people around you, those who look up to you. There are youth, our families, our co-workers, our neighbors, and yes, even our enemies. They witness your life with Christ. Lately, I've been asked why I think there are so little youth in our churches today. A lot of times it's hard to give an answer. But I think if we search deeply enough, we might actually be able to see that maybe we haven't been good witnesses of Christ in our own lives. Sometimes we just simply pretend to follow him. Sometimes we're just content with going through the motions and never really moving at all. But Jesus is alive. God has never hidden his face from us. It's us who hide our faces from him. 
And yet he seeks us out just as he did Adam and Eve in that garden when sin entered our world. And he asks, where are you? He asks us now, where are you? And we must respond. Jesus will still be there. His love will never change. But you have been given free will to be part of the kingdom of God. And it is your choice to answer him. See, we deceive ourselves when we think that we just continue in our sins. It only proves that we have not yet truly understood God's grace towards us. If we confess our sin only because we're afraid of the consequences, then we simply prove that our hearts are not actually after God's own heart. Don't let God's words fall on deaf ears. There's a reason why Jesus said to the people that they would have ears but not hear. can't imagine how frustrating it must have been for him to speak the truth and to have his hearers prevented from perceiving and understanding and moving towards repentance. So then he turned to the outcasts, the tax collector, the uneducated, the poor, the foreigner, the sinner, because their ears were ready to hear the truth and abandon their sin and follow Jesus and humbly learn from him. For he says, take my yoke upon you Let me teach you. I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's Matthew 11, 29. These are the ones who entered the kingdom of God, the citizens of heaven. Not simply the ones who followed the religion, but those who appropriately responded to God's grace that was offered through Jesus. In fact, some of these were the very same who had experienced oppression, have been given rule after rule to follow in order to be acceptable to God. And yet Jesus rescues them from this. You see, God is love. This means that he didn't selfishly create you so that you could just serve him or, I don't know. God created you with the purpose of pouring out his love to you. So you were made to be in relationship with God. In Genesis, it says that God made man in his own image. You will never find fulfillment or satisfaction by doing anything other than joining him. Jesus came so that we could have abundant life a life overflowing with the beauty of God's love being poured into us. See, your life is not pointless or meaningless. We must find our meaning in God's love and becoming one with him and Jesus and his followers. Just as Jesus is in God and God is in the Father, we are now invited into this relationship and this is only possible because of what Jesus did for us. He made us righteous before God. So yes, God has extended an invitation to you through Jesus Christ to join him in relationship. He has given the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to recreate us, so that we might be born of the Spirit and therefore be inducted into Jesus' never-ending 
reign, and kingdom. Let's not be satisfied with simply following rules in religion. Let's pursue the way of Jesus with everything we've got to give. For he said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. It's drastic. It's hard to hear. But that is what he said. Jesus calls us to love God with all of our hearts, our minds, our souls, and strength, and to love not only God, but to love our neighbors as ourselves. You see, sin is anything that falls short of that command. When we sin against God and step on our neighbors for personal gain, when we seek to satisfy our desires and pleasures by exploiting and suppressing the free will of another, when we carelessly abuse the rights of others, when we deface the image of God in our bodies and our minds, Jesus calls us out of this. See, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the beast, to abuse and to oppress for personal or national gain. This is the way each kingdom on earth has ever eventually met its own end. Yet God's kingdom is now being established forever, and you are called to be citizens not of an earthly country, but of a heavenly one. For Revelation 18, 4-5 says, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For his sins are heaped heaven high, and God has remembered her iniquities. This is in the message of the three angels. This is Babylon. This is the foreign country into which all of God's people were exiled into. This is the same country where God is calling them out of this oppressive system. And it isn't just a place. It's also in here. When we follow our own inclinations, our nature, we are bound to be part of her. So don't mistake the kingdom of God for a nation. You can't in the same breath support the mass murder of people on the other side of the world and claim to be a citizen of heaven. You can't in the same action steal from someone and say you are laying for yourself treasure in heaven. You can't in the same sentence praise God and curse your neighbor for their actions. He says, first pull out the branch in your eye before picking out the splinter in your neighbors. Do not judge those whom you are unwilling to love. Has God rubbed your sins in your face? When we condemn or talk harshly about about those who we consider sinners, when we condemn the LGBTQ community, do we do that because we somehow feel more morally righteous than they are? 
Do we do it because we need someone to blame for the fact that things are not going well in our country? Do we gain some sort of twisted satisfaction by it? Is it not a sin of pride to judge others based on the belief that we don't sin? Be careful that we don't fall into the sin of pride. Remember that pride comes before a fall, and it's a slippery slope from judgment to oppression and abuse. Last year, there were reports of gay men being kidnapped and tortured in concentration camps in Russia in an effort to purge the country of them. And yet the Christian community was silent. Perhaps out of fear of being associated with people whom we consider detestable. But how can Christians condemn the torture of Jews in concentration camps in World War II but not of people who we think of as sinners. Is that not twisted? No matter what you feel about that, torture is sin. Remember that in Germany, those concentration camps were backed by theological arguments endorsing the hatred of Jews. The Christian churches in Germany adopted a twisted understanding of Hitler as their savior. And that is the vilest misuse of God's name. Let's be careful that we do not fall into that sin of pride and hatred. We cannot bring people to Christ while condemning them. Let's not defame God's name. For Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. You too are on that same sinking ship. You see, the gospel is the great equalizer. It shows us that we are all messed up in God's eyes. We are all unworthy and guilty of hypocrisy. And if we are unable to see that, it is because we fail to come face to face with Jesus in the gospels. Do not judge those whom you are unwilling to love. We are a sorry bunch. And it is only by God's grace that we are saved. And not because of our actions. Can you hear him say, go and sin no more? No one condemns you. You're forgiven. Now let me make you new. But you will inevitably face the fact that you like to sin. That no matter what you do, your temptations will pursue you. It is only by daily submission to God's will that we will begin to feel the influence of God's Holy Spirit on our minds, in our hearts, and in our relationships. For Jesus says, Revelation 3, 18-22, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white guard garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and solve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent behold I stand at the door and I knock and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come into him and eat with him and he with me 
The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Are your thoughts daily placed in Jesus' hands? Where is your heart? See, we didn't come here simply to just hear a sermon. You came here to encounter the spirit of the one who refines us like gold, the one who molds us like the potter shapes the clay, the one who forgives and loves and is the only one that is able to judge rightly. And we can deceive one another, but we can't deceive the one who sees the innermost parts of our soul. Our creator whose infinite mercy has been so patient with us, the one who creates simply by speaking a word, the one to whom the sea and everything in it submit. He is the one who gave everything to bring truth to the eyes of humanity, and he was rejected and executed in the vilest of ways. So let's not throw our lot in with those in darkness, but rather let's be children of light. He has been patient and loving. Why do we harden our hearts? Why do we inflict pain on each other? Why are we such self-absorbed narcissists? We are our own worst enemy. When you stand against what Jesus teaches us, you are not contending with a simple teaching or writing, but rather you are contending with the Almighty God. For regarding sin and temptation, James writes the following in James 1, 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now you can blame it on the devil when you sin, but it is really you who is responsible for controlling your desires. The Bible also says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. See to it that you are daily seeking your Lord and Savior. For we are to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling because we know that there is nothing worthy in us. This is why we must live in Christ Jesus whom was perfect and through whom we can come to the Father in confidence that we are forgiven. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And those are Jesus' words. All those who love the darkness will be lost. Not because God chooses to reject them, but because they have ultimately chosen to reject the truth in Jesus. They are lost because they refuse to come to the light and turn from their evil ways. So seek truth. Seek the way. Seek the life. Jesus is the only way. When Nicodemus encountered Jesus under the cover of night, John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8 says, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you that you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Jesus talking about what he would experience 
in his life here. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, Jesus, Jesus was crucified because humanity rejected the truth in him. Yet God raised them up to prove that the kingdom of God is forever and to show that nothing can stop God's purposes and truth. He died in the place of his followers. He gave his life for them. And because he did this, his death and resurrection become ours as well. For if we die like he did upholding the truth, we will also live like him because of it. Jesus proved God's righteousness by choosing to face death in order to display the corruption of humanity the corruption of religion devoid of God, and the corruption of earthly governments. So the question is, are you willing to follow his steps? Will you uphold truth come what may? Will you reflect his grace and love toward all? Will you offer hope and forgiveness to those who wrong you? Will you be a light in this world, or will you hide your light under a basket? Are you willing to reject all earthly gain and kingdoms in order to become a citizen of heaven? Are you going to turn from your evil thoughts, your actions and desires, and put your whole lives in God's hands? Paul the Apostle said that just as we were born into sin because of Adam's sin, we were also born again in the grace of Jesus Christ, who has begun the good work in you, and he is faithful to complete it. It is often the case that we ignore our own sin. We give in to the lies that there is nothing to be done with it, that we can't do anything about it. And so we look for validation in other things. We look for validation in knowledge. But what good is it to you, for, to you to know the truth, to know theology, or to know how to interpret the prophecies if you are holy in darkness? What good is it to a doctor who knows how to heal if he doesn't apply it to himself? He will die. He will be buried, and his knowledge will be useless. So don't boast in knowing the truth if you refuse to bring your will under the influence of God's Spirit. Do not boast in keeping the Sabbath and yet ignore the commandment to love those who are hard to love. Do not boast in giving to the poor and yet break out in fits of anger towards your sister, your wife, or your brother. For many will say to him, Lord, Lord, but he will turn to them and say, Get away from me. I don't know you. And how terrible it will be in that day when all of our knowledge serves as a judgment against us. So be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, and deceive yourselves. For so how shockingly does God need to speak to our souls? How forceful do his words need to be to get in our heads? We want the revival of the spirit being poured out into all, but we are blind to how often we ignore the spirit even now. Why would God give more of his spirit to those who ignore him and who love darkness instead of light? But Jesus is such, such a loving king. His patience towards us is so great that even now he contends in our hearts. What would happen if we turned our hearts to him? What if we prayed with renewed energy? What would happen if you gave your lives fully to Christ and his purpose? then our knowledge would only serve to strengthen and to encourage our steps toward God. For as it stands, I feel like we're in trouble. Don't harden our hearts. 
Let's not harden our hearts towards God. He says, though the road is narrow, nothing is impossible for him. Think of the rich young ruler who did everything right except he rejected the call of Christ to follow him. But think of Zacchaeus, the corrupt tax collector who accepted God's grace. It is better to be Zacchaeus than a rich ruler. It is better to not have known the light than to know it and yet reject it. I hear Christ calling us to follow him. And yet I see confusion in people's faces at the mention of the phrase, follow Christ. Follow him. Be like Christ. Love the unlovable. Forgive those who sin against you. Stand up for the truth. Pray constantly. Go on God's errands. Keep a level eye. Encourage and build each other up. Correct one another in Christ's love and do not deceive yourselves. Do not love the world or anything in it, but rather love God with all that you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. Trust him. When Jesus' disciples answered the call, they thought that they would only go from glory to glory toward an earthly throne and rule over their own enemies. But instead, they were faced with what appeared to be a dead end after dead end, not realizing that Jesus was leading them towards the great end of death itself. Which culminated in his own death and his resurrection and even the salvation of their enemies. In the same way, when we follow Christ, we may come up to frustrating dead ends, only to be shown that Jesus is truly the only way, the truth, and the life, that he is all and everything we need, and the only one who makes anything and everything new again in our lives. We must love the unlovable because he loved us. If we say we know God and do not love others, then we prove ourselves to be liars. And evidently, there may be someone here today who is uncomfortable with this. But just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. And if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven was like a man who found buried treasure in a field and excitedly went out and sold all he owned so that he could buy that field. And I just hope and I pray that we may be like that man. That we would get rid of all the things that we boast about and buy the buried treasure found in Christ alone. For he is our strength. He is our salvation. He is our guide. There is no one like him. No one like him who the wind and the waves obey, who calls the stars by name, who puts the breath in our lungs. Don't contend with the spirit of the living God. Do not harden yourself against it. There are those who have been gripped by their own inordinate desires for power, money, pleasure, acclaim, validation, attention, security. Leave those things. Sell those things and purchase the treasure which you have found in Jesus. 
May Jesus refine us like gold. May he set a right spirit within us, one that is after his own heart. May he hold the mirror up to our faces so that we can get a better glimpse of ourselves. May we consider his wonderful face so that we may be transformed into his likeness. Let's not be a people that have an appearance of godliness, but deny his power. May God empower us through his spirit to reject our evil natures and pursue him with reckless abandon. May we be faithful to Jesus and his testimony until the end. May our Seventh-day Adventism be beneficial to those who witness our, Christ's with, our lives with Christ. May it ever be a movement, never simply a religion. A movement of people out of a system that endorses sin, darkness, and oppression. Whether that be a religious organization, the economic empire that we live in, our culture, or our personal mindsets. For he says, come out of her, my people. Let's pray. Lord, help us lay our pride at your feet. We often fall into pride. But on the cross, you made yourself of no reputation. And you gave up all of your power and glory for us. And the more we thank you and rejoice that you did that, the less we need to worry about our own honor and reputation, about whether people are approving of us or not. We tend to fall into self-sufficiency, yet you were fully dependent on the Father. And the more we consider this, the more urgent our dependency on you becomes apparent, the more desperately we need you. We like to feel superior to others. We like to compare ourselves. Yet you tell us that we are all equal, for there is no longer male or female, slave nor free, Gentile or Jew, since we are all one in you. Help us to become a community that strives to be more like you. If any of us are frustrated or jaded with the lack of community, I pray that you make us the initiators of that community. Help us to lead the change rather than simply cry out for it. Lord, we often pull away from you. We give up on you. We follow our own inclinations rather than trusting you. Yet you gave your life for us while we were still at odds with you. You set your mind to give yourself fully for us while you suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane to save us from the evil which we ushered into the world at the Garden of Eden. We fall asleep on you, on your moments of greatest needs, yet you never abandon us. Allow us now to consider your free gift of grace more intensely, since you accomplished what we could not. When we set our eyes on you, we are free from setting our eyes on ourselves, others, and material things. And as we strive to follow you, Jesus, lead us, teach us, move us, mold us, know us. Allow us to know your grace and to express it in love. Help us to see our sin and allow you to pluck it out of our lives. Help us be open to your spirit. Lead us into all truth. Teach us to be light bearers and to foster a healthy and genuine expectancy of your second coming. We pray these things 
under the banner of your name, Jesus, our King. Amen.